0: We want to
1: talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Ooh, baby! Ooh, baby! Is it a good one here in the studio, Nate? I'm excited. We got—we're making history. We're making history, history, history on the show here today. No, it's not. Siri, get off my watch. No, it's not the 100th episode, although I think we're getting close. I think we're going to hit it here pretty soon. I need to do the math. I need to look into it uh, a little bit here. Why are we making history? I'm going to make you wait about 10 minutes. It's and worth the wait. It's worth, trust us, it's worth the wait. But 10 minutes from now, we're making history, and it's going to be awesome. Including, along with that, it has to do with a certain segment that we've been uh, that I've been... Commanding here for pretty much the entirety of the show. Uh, just a little spoiler there. Uh, we're going to have John Kurtz. Everyone knows John. The, the K-Man. Goat. The Goat. The YouTube extraordinaire, whatever you want to call him. right? Dude's blowing up on YouTube right now. It's awesome what he's doing. Getting a lot of traction. John's going to come on talk some... Uh, K-State football, I figure we could get into some conference realignment. And then I have some other little things that I just kind of want to pick his brain about as well. And then K-State soccer with a huge win. Last Thursday in the rain, they had like a power outage. It was it was a mess for K-State soccer last Thursday. The Sunflower Showdown, they got it done winning in overtime against KU 2-1. to one. We're going to get into that a little bit later as well, but first uh K-State lost. Not to like, not to like put a downer on things, I I couldn't really figure out how to transition very well there, but uh, yeah, that wasn't fun. I mean, it's, it was fun. It was just a, for kind a little of frustrating bit. game. It was a very frustrating game just to look back on. I pulled some uh, some of the clips from uh, My call with uh, Cole Carmody, I think it was the last time Cole is going to call a game in the bill. I will be back one more time. I'll call Iowa State here in about a week and a half. And then I think my last football call is going to come against KU. How poetic uh, to have that happen. But to play some of these clips, to kind of give a little walkthrough of the game here, this is uh, to start the game, K-State fumbled. Uh, Jaquardier right, and I don't think he got another carry the rest of the game And I after don't that.
2: know that he will get another carry
1: for this season. We'll see.
2: I don't think he we'll should. We'll see.
1: Well, okay, we, we'll get into that here in a second, but he fumbles, Oklahoma drives down. I think he should have gotten the
2: ball in the first place in that situation, but.
1: I mean, I understand it because he's like six foot two or whatever, and he's this massive power back, and it was a good run. I just think it was an even better play by the defender to come in and punch the ball out. I think, I think that's all that you can say because he's, like, 6'2", 200-whatever I figured pounds. that'd like, be the Tray Joe Irvin. Guy. I figured that'd be
2: the Joe Irvin
1: And that's time. what I thought, too. I need to go back and rewatch the game because I don't know how much they used Joe Irving Because, obviously, they were trying to give Deuce a break, but I don't know how much they were trying to, mm-hmm. like, utilize the different backs, right? Because you talk about utilizing different backs, and it's like, well, when are you going to see DJ Giddens from Junction City come in and, and get some carries and – it's like, I don't know, we have a lot of talent in the running back room, and I think just figuring out when those guys are going to get in the game in situations where they want them. I think it's all very situational is what <laughs> I'm getting at. Um, but that's I think that's the most important thing is figuring out who is best when and where and utilize their strengths. But fumble, Oklahoma recovers it for 70 yards. Skylar Thompson saved a touchdown, making a tackle there. But then the defense looked good. In that first like two minutes that Oklahoma had the ball, and it was all capped off by a sack from uh, I don't know, I don't know if he's your favorite player on the team. Definitely one of my favorite players on the team. The transfer from you and Charlotte, Timmy Horn. With Eric Gray in the backfield, three receivers to the left, one to the right. Rattler takes the snap. He's looking over the middle. He's gonna take
0: off, and he will be
1: sacked, Timmy Horn! Out the fish line and reeling it is and this that celebration was awesome watching him like throw out the fishing pole and then like reel about dude timmy horn gets me pumped up every single time i see him on the field man i swear incredible but then k-state force a force field go there drive down the field and then k-state i believe it was three for five on 4th downs. They, were they 3-5 or 4-5? I'll look up the stat here in a second. 4-5, I think. They performed extremely well on 4th down, including the first touchdown of the game. The bottom line is you got to have a play right here that you can get two yards in case it's going to go for it. Skylar Thompson, the gun, two receivers to the right, two tight ends to his left. He sends a man in motion. He orbits, no. Going back, he's looking. It's Phillip Brooks on the screen. He gets to the outside. Phillip Brooks, touchdown, Wild Pass!
2: That was a great play. It was a great play. The I fake, personally did not orbit, want them to go for it there. And I was like, Oh, a, I did that's a phenomenal I play. I did.
1: I think you have to going up against a team like Oklahoma. It's something that Cole said in the booth where it's like you play the Chiefs, you you have to score points if you want to beat the Chiefs. You can't play from behind, right? So I think you have to score points. And that's something that Chris Kleiman said in his media presser today. I should have pulled a clip of that of him talking about going for it on fourth down. He thinks A team with such a veteran offense right now, with pretty much everyone on the offense returning from last season, Skyler Thompson, the sixth-year senior who knows this offense, having guys in the receiving game like Landry Weber and Phillip Brooks really step it up this season so far, and then having a guy like Deuce Vaughn and Joe Irvin, and then the offensive line play as well as they have, you have to be aggressive. And if it's fourth and two or fourth and four, I think is the the specific yardage he gave. gave out there fourth and four you have to be able to pick up first downs and then he said obviously if it's like fourth and eight probably should stay away it probably shouldn't like go for that it's a little bit further a little bit harder but Even if it's for like, like fourth, fourth and 14 four, though the, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> later I mean, on the come game. come on but yeah i understand what he's saying you just have to be aggressive and if you're gonna if you're gonna fight with the dogs you gotta you got to fight, and I think that's exactly what happened. And they converted their th- first three third downs or fourth downs that they that they went for. And honestly, I think it it paid off in the beginning. Obviously, not not in the long run. And that's something you know. I figure we get into into a John here when I pick his brain a little bit. But to move on with the game, you Case. I think that was the only lead that k State had throughout the game was when they were up seven three. But Oklahoma drives down, scores. k State kicks a field goal. Taton Winkle played really well on Saturday and then eventually blah blah blah, blah Oklahoma scores whatever and then uh, <laughs> and there he is the man himself Cole Carmody standing outside of the outside of the booth right now how about that good to see his little lovely face there but uh, <laughs> you uh, you drive down and then the third quarter you get to, you get the Deuce Swan touchdown takes a snap it's a pass, he's looking, he's got Deuce in the flat. Deuce outside it makes the gets Deuce Vaughn and the Cats are back into the end zone, baby! And what a catch by Deuce Vaughn there. To that ball was over his head and he's a little five six, right? He had to reach for it, but that was that was a phenomenal catch by Deuce Vaughn to get in the end zone.
2: Yeah, I mean, Deuce, I think, continues to look really great, even when you know teams are game planning for him, and I think he continues to to be great in spite of uh, teams really coming out trying to stop him on
1: defense I would agree I also think and this is just a thought that popped into my head I think if he had the size of a guy like Bijan Robinson he would be unstoppable You you look at his athleticism and the way he can catch the ball and move around the field if he was just a little bigger I think he would be like Heisman front runner right now I feel like this offense wouldn't have any problem right if he if he were just a ty- and that's as there's nothing he can do about it and that's just me you know bsing mm-hmm. about you know what like complaining about whatever but you know i if he were a little bit bigger i think he would he would be able to produce a little bit more and that's something that i figure we get into a little bit later on as well seeing the offensive line play well with with Cooper Beebe a guy that i wanted to bring up uh, a little bit later as well but as we move through the recap landry weber i think i uh I think I went out of order on the clips here, but Landry Weber, what a game for for Landry Weber to be able to come out, get his first ever touch. You know Here, I'll just play. A- this was his first ever career touchdown. To the right, looking to pass. He'll look. He'll fire back in the end zone. He's got Landry Weber. Touchdown, K-State. The Cats are back in the end zone. Yeah, it was incredible because he's on the, uh, what award watch list is he on right now? Um... Uh, Hold on, it's in my email. <laughs> I'll pull hold on, I'll pull it up here in a second. But uh yeah, Landry Weber being able to come out and essentially I think he could play the one. I really think he could. He's not very big, and I don't think he's fast enough to play the slot. So I think he's more mm-hmm. on the outside, and then just seeing how say what you will about Malik Knowles, how he's been playing at the receiver position, not overall. Special teams, he's been playing amazing, but in terms of offensively, he's been struggling, and I think this was Landry Weber's game to kind of show, hey, I can be that guy if if Malik or Phillip Brooks or Tyron Howell, Cade Warner, Keenan Garber, Daniel Amadabebe, if they can't go. I think Landry Weber kind of showed that he can be that guy.
2: <coughs> you know, I really don't think Malik Knowles has looked that bad on offense. I think he's had... One or two tough drops, but, man, compared to what Malik Knowles was playing like in the past, where he was just dropping passes left and right. He did drop a wide open pass. He did, but but he has gotten a lot better.
1: I would agree. He has gotten better, especially in the return game, and you know what? Let's just go ahead and... uh... Let's just play the clip. I, the The beginning of the clip is pretty funny, and I, I just like <laughs> – I'll just play it. Middle cuts right. He's got blocks. He's got blocks. Malik Knowles makes a man miss. Malik Knowles to the
0: outside, to the 40, 30, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, and the Cats are back in the end zone.
1: Baby. We can get it. I just love how it. it's like, ah, uh, he's got blocks. It's like, oh, oh, he's got blocks. <laughs> the whole – Oh, the whole dynamic shift of, of the voice there. That's great. Um, but, yeah, overall, you know, and we'll get into into the game a little bit more when we get John on here in a few minutes. But, uh, you know, what are your just kind of thoughts after the game here before we move on to, to our next topic?
2: Um, it's tough because I think they played pretty well. Um, but I don't think they played clean enough football to win that game. Um, and I'd I think agree. I think it's easy to be frustrated about some of the blown calls that there were um, and be fr- and I, I mean I was frustrated I still am kind of frustrated about those calls, but I'm a guy I'm the kind of guy that you, you can't throw a whole game on the refs and I just don't think the team played um, up to the level of play that they needed to to beat Oklahoma and I think, um, you can say the game was blown with the refs, whatever.
1: See, but they, then you can go Jacardi right fumbled. Exactly, that was a ten yep. point swing because they, they, they swing. were
2: they were going to score on that yep. drive. I'm confident they would have scored a touchdown. Yep. So you take those three points away from Oklahoma, put seven on there. If anything, I think that was more important than than yep. any of the blown calls there were. I agree. So because
1: it's something that you can control
2: exactly, and that's one of the reasons I don't really like putting games on the refs because it comes down to it. You could have played a better game. There's got to be something. I mean, we didn't we didn't win the turnover differential, did we? Or was it one uh, one? It was one one. Yeah, and I mean that pick was was a good pick, but it was basically an arm punt. It was oh yeah, and that, fifteen yeah. or that whatever. He pinned it was like us inside the ten yard line. Exactly. Point, yeah.
1: So, yeah. 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 Refs are always the first to get blamed, and that's just you know they're they're an easy scapegoat, and that's just kind of how it goes with football. And season. yeah, I
2: don't think those were good calls, but. You, we still could have played a better game. Cats I would, still, agree. Cats I would still, agree. Cats still could have won that game despite those calls.
1: You know who else is an easy scapegoat when it comes to football?
2: I'm curious as to where you're going to go with this. Offensive know. linemen. That is true. First
1: ones to get blamed. Last ones last to, to get ones praise. to get credit. And with that beautiful segue right there, do you know what it's time for, Nate? I do. Not just my favorite segment. Not just yours, the station's, the world's, everyone's favorite segment. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: Big Boy of the Week
1: every time I hear Ed Weigel's voice. Ooh, I just get shivers every time, just right down my spine, man. Goosebumps everywhere. And this is what I'm talking about right now. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in show history since I've been here for about a year and a half now, we're making history. We do have a Big Boy of the Week, but I could not find a good clip of what happened See, so you know what I did, Nate? I went straight, went straight, to, the straight to
2: the source,
1: yeah. DM'd him on Twitter, and for the first time, ladies and gentlemen, in show history, I have the award recipient of Big Boy of the Week on the show. Interviewed him before, before the show a little bit ago. Got the audio. I'll play that here in a second. But let me introduce to you Nick Anaya. He's a center from Grand Casa. Sorry. A center from Casa Grande Union High School in Casa Grande. They say Grand or Grande. Is there an E at the end? Yeah, it's Grande. Grande. I yeah. missed that. It's on me. From Casa Grande Union High School in Casa Grande, Arizona. He's six foot three, 320 pounds. Senior at Casa Grande. And he scored a rushing touchdown. But don't. Don't Derek take- hungry as he was Derek called. hungry I think yeah. is the <laughs> oh it's just the perfect way to uh to do that to 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 announce him there but ladies and gentlemen for the first time in show history this week's big boy of the week joining the show right now Nick and Nia, sitting with me here dude this is the first time because I've been doing the show for I think about a year year and a half now and Big Boy of the Week has been a segment where I play the clip of of the highlight and everything but I've never actually had the Big Boy of the Week on the show before. You're the first to ever do it. Can you talk us through through the touchdown?
0: Um so we've been I've been talking to coach Bar about this for since my sophomore year, since I first started playing. I was like, "Look, coach, like I want to run the ball." And he said, I can't like I can't let my lineman run the ball. I don't want you to do that. Like I can't let you guys do that. And finally, uh, he let me run it my senior year. And I, I said, "Hey, Coach Barlow, let me run the ball." He said, "You know what? Get in there, Nick." He said, "Let me see what you let me see what you uh, you can do. What you're talking about." I said, "Okay." And then I just went in, and all I just remember was I just got the ball and I just ran in there like, I oh, don't know.
1: Dude, that <laughs> that's so, it's like the Lyman's dream. It's the lineman's dream, right?
0: Yeah, just aligning his dream to run the ball. Like I felt like I was on top of the world.
1: <laughs> Cause you're, uh, it says you're about you're six foot two ninety. Is that right?
0: Uh, nah, that was that was my uh, sophomore. Those those are my sophomore. What's it called? I need to update them. But I'm six foot three uh, three
1: twenty. G- <laughs> I was gonna say because I was looking at the at the video and I was like, "There's no way this dude is six foot two ninety. I had to like confirm that for myself.
0: Oh yeah, no, no, that, that's old. I need to update those.
1: Though, are you getting are you getting offers? You getting looks anywhere?
0: Uh, I just had my first visit to Ottawa and, and surprise Arizona,
1: but other than that, they're just my first ones. I haven't got any yet. No, and it's uh it's a uh, you're out in Casa Grande, right? How uh, how is it playing? Because like obviously being in Kansas, middle of nowhere, right? Aside from Manhattan here at K State, we don't get to see the difference there a ton. How is it playing football out in Arizona right now?
0: Uh, the players and football in Arizona right now—it's pretty good. I mean, it's a—we're uh, actually getting like a lot, uh, a lot of looks down here in Arizona for football. I mean, we just had uh, Hamilton play Bishop Gorman and had a major comeback. So Arizona football is definitely changing.
1: And then uh, you know you took the time to come out on my show. That's really that's real I just wanted to hear about the touchdown and you know just kind of more about you. Is there anything else you know before I let you go here? I don't want to take up too much of your time. That's uh, uh-huh. any shout out any shout outs or anything I can do for you.
0: Uh, of course, shout out to my mom, of course, and uh, shout out to uh, Coach Barr for letting me run the ball. That's that's pretty much it.
1: Dude, Nick, I appreciate you coming on the show. Like I said, first time we've ever had a guy who's won the award come on the show. It's super cool. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me.
3: At Tanner's Bar and Grill, you can sit down and watch the game. Which game? Well, with 22 TVs and access to a selection of college sports and NFL programming, you can watch whatever game you want. Located at 1200 Morrow in the Ville, everyone is welcome to grab a bite to eat and enjoy college sports networks like SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and more. Thirsty? Tannis also has 16 beers on tap and a selection of over 40 craft beers and seasonal drinks.
1: Welcome back to the show. That was awesome getting to hear from uh, Nick and Naya. First time ever we've had a Big Boy of the Week come on the show, right? And it's cool getting to hear him. Give the firsthand, like straight, like you said, Nate, straight from the horse's mouth, getting to hear about the touchdown. But he's not the only guest we're gonna have on the show today. I put it out on Twitter earlier today, ladies and gentlemen, from the game on News Radio KMAN. He's also the YouTube aficionado, if you will. <laughs> I'll let I'll let you kind of get into that, John. Ladies and gentlemen, John Kurtz. John, how are you doing, man?
4: Hey, I'm doing great. Appreciate you uh, you having me on.
1: Yeah, it's not uh, not the first time, and I don't think the second time I've ever had you on the show either. I figured it's a bye week. We we don't really have much going on. I know you said you're in Kansas City. What are you doing out there, man?
4: Just hanging out for a couple of days. I uh, I tell you what. There's a I'm getting a reverb back. Like there's an echo in my ear. Is there a kind of button that can be changed? There. It's just hard to hard to focus on that.
1: Yeah. No. I'll see if I can uh, change something here on our end. I'm not sure how much I can do. Uh, from our board. Like I said, we got some old equipment here in the studio. It sounds good to us. Are you sounding, are you sounding good on your end?
4: Yeah. I mean, it, it just, uh, it's like when you're on a tie line, you know, and you got mono coming back through your ears. So it's like, I'm, I'm just hearing everything in my ear really
1: loud. Yeah. I got you. Hold on. Just give me two seconds here. I'll see if I can figure that out. Um, yeah. And while, while we're getting that figured out, I figured, uh, you know, I asked Nate about it. I talked about it a little bit. What are your, what are your thoughts here, uh, just initial reactions after after the OU game?
4: Yeah, it was disappointing for sure, um, the, the results of the game, obviously. But I think there, there are some positives to take. And I think especially looking at, um, I saw the Sagar and rankings that were out this week said that K-State have played the fourth toughest schedule in the country uh, so far this year. So that's, that's certainly something that can take some of the sting off. And, I mean, Oklahoma State right now being up at number 12 um, really helps in that regard, too, as far as the strength of schedule is concerned. I think they look like a totally different team. Obviously, with Skyler back uh, there offensively, um, he makes a pretty huge difference. Um, defensively, I think that's really where the concerns are. You know, I mean, to me, it's you can complain about the onside kick, you can complain about the, the overturn on Landry Weber's catch. Uh, K State certainly didn't catch a lot of breaks. I would point out that they they probably did get one that that fumble didn't get run back for a touchdown at the beginning of the game when that probably could have been the case. Um, So it's not like they were totally devoid of breaks, but they definitely were to an extent. And um, I think you can complain about that or you can look at the reality of the situation, which is the defense probably needs to get better and uh, just has not been very good against both Oklahoma state and Oklahoma in big 12 play. And, And it is frustrating now that you look at it and say, well, there's seven straight big 12 losses going back to last year. And I know that will Howard, um, being the quarterback last year and Skyler being out played a, a large role in that, but you know, there, there are problems. There are things that need to be fixed. And I think the bye week honestly comes at a good time as far as that's concerned. But, um, if you're trying to have a season that's eight wins or above, uh, things are going to need to get the ship will really need to get righted pretty quick. Um, as far as that's concerned coming up here.
1: Yeah. And that's something that Chris Kleiman talked about in his, uh, media presser today is that, uh, Somebody asked him about playing a little bit more tentative with tackling and stuff, especially with Daniel Green and all the targeting issues right now. Do you think the defense was playing a little, I don't want to say scared, but wasn't necessarily going as hard in fear of some of these targeting calls? I think you
4: may have seen that with Daniel Green himself. Um, That was an observation I remember having at one point where it seemed like uh, there were a couple times where he sort of bounced off of a guy – going to make a tackle and i wondered if that's in the back of his mind and i mean how could it not be um because the the poor guy i mean it's happened to him twice where they're bang bang plays clearly there was no malicious intent and I, i'm seeing a lot of conversation around the football world right now about the targeting penalty in general and you know can we get a different levels of it like flagrant one flagrant two and basketball targeting one targeting two and determining intent and that kind of thing i think that could be beneficial, especially for a guy like Daniel Green, who's not doing it with any malicious intent. Maybe that could, could change things. It was interesting to hear Chris Kleiman talk about tackling and technique and how that's really a lost art in football. And I, I think it just by nature is today when they're doing so much less of it in practice. And um, that's clearly just such a shift in focus in the game of football in general away from that. I don't know if it, it really covers for the whole defense. Um, I just think they have, they have some problems anyway with what's going on defensively. And I understand trying to take away the big play from Oklahoma, which is what Kleiman said they did and, and giving up some of the short stuff because of that. But man, even beyond that, if you're, if you're going to do that, you better be nails tackling. Um, you cannot let those guys get out in space and start shaking guys and, and racking up yards after catch and yards after contact, or you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And it just, everything felt way too easy uh, for Oklahoma in that game, unfortunately. So, um I don't think that gets to be a blanket excuse for everybody. I do think it can be uh, for Daniel Green himself, probably.
1: And that's something that I think is interesting to bring up too, because you know, you look, you know, Oklahoma is a team who's going to score. They're going to drive down the field and they're going to score, right? So you get into the fourth quarter with, I think it's like nine, ten minutes left, and you're huddling. You're running the ball. It's because Chris Kleiman talked about this as well. during it took a
2: five-minute drive.
1: Yeah, it, a five. you take four or five minutes off the clock down three scores. Do you think that – and this is just kind of more of a personal opinion question for you, John. Is it did, – did you see kind of a lack of urgency in the team in the fourth quarter? I think some of that is just it's – I understand the criticism
4: of it and I, I – I share some of that, but at the same time, it just that's kind of who this team is, and that's kind of something that you're just going to have to endure and deal with. I I think if you're this program and and this offense and the way that they operate, they're just not really built to do that very well. Um, And I'm I'm not going to give them – look, I mean, I I complained about it with Bill Snyder. There were times in Snyder 2.0 at the end there where it was frustrating and it felt like the same kind of thing. Like they just did not have the capability to – hurry up and i was i was definitely critical of it then so i I will share in some of the criticism of it right now i just think that's that's kind of how they are um what what receiver are we expecting to make a big play down the field right now um so to me it just comes more back to you got to recruit a better offense you need better skill talent um you need better receivers because none of these guys right now are making enough plays to, to really say like okay well we could hurry up and be chucking it down the field because there's just not a lot of of uh bullets in the chamber so to speak as far as that's concerned so i i think the problem is just i guess i would just phrase it like i think the problem is bigger than uh simply saying well uh you, you need to have more urgency you need to be hurrying up uh getting to the line of scrimmage faster so certainly could that help but I, yes if they could develop like a better uh to a four minute drill i mean really that's more like a four minute drill kind of situation um that, that would be helpful and it would be nice but like i can remember you know the Chiefs, um, it was the Patriots game with Alex Smith in the playoffs. I can't remember if that was Alex Smith's last year, if that was 2017. It might have been. Uh, similar criticism where they're not a couple of scores, and Alex Smith leads this, like, 13-play, 80-yard scoring drive where there's not much time left after that. and Then they get Patrick Mahomes, and all of a sudden, nobody complains about what they do in two-minute drill situations because, well, the quarterback got way better, and the, and the skill talent, obviously, was great to match it. So I think a lot of it... Can just be personnel based, and and that can really be the bigger root cause of the issue than just saying like, hey, you should be getting up to the line of scrimmage faster.
1: John Kurtz talking with us here, and that's kind of another question that I wanted to get into here is just talking more specifically about the personnel. You look at a guy like Skyler Thompson who was listed as questionable and then unprobable, and then they said he wasn't going to play, and then he said he might play, and then he ended up playing right, and he played extremely extremely well. He had over three hundred yards and three touchdowns. I mean. How, were were you impressed with the Skylar Thompson that you saw on Saturday?
4: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, there is absolutely something to the injury. It was a blessing in disguise in a way because it, it forced him to stay in the pocket. It forced him to become more of a pocket passer instead of taking his first instinct, which is to run. Um, kind of fascinating because we've seen him throughout his entire five-year career at K-State beforehand be a guy who is typically pretty yancy, and that's been one of the I think relatively fair criticisms of his game is sometimes he can be too quick to want to escape the pocket or just not trust the pocket, not trust the offensive line, and not just stand back there and look to throw the ball. Um, so I think there, there actually could be, you know, as he gets healthier this year and perhaps becomes more comfortable running the ball, which maybe happens after the bye week and just getting an extra two weeks to rest, um, now maybe you have a fusion of both of those things where he's learned that, hey, if I just sit back in the pocket, I can still – be pretty effective here in distributing the ball to, you know, what weapons I do have, even though it is it is lacking a little bit there. Um, so I, I did. I thought he looked very good. I was impressed. It's just clearly he gives a different level of command to the offense than what is there with uh, with Howard or Lewis and in terms of, you know, the playbook, what they're willing to use. Um, it just looks like a competent offense. It looks like a competent, um, above-average uh, FBS offense. And, and let's be honest, it just does not look like that right now with – with Howard or Lewis. Um, you now, in fairness to Howard, I think he's getting a little bit better. But um, it clearly just raises the, the floor and ceiling of the team at the same time quite a bit when Skyler's in at QB.
1: Do you think we're going to see Skyler start to run the ball more? Do you think it was just because it was his first game back and the coaches maybe told him, you know, don't run the ball? We don't want you to get hurt, like, right away again? Do you think – this is the Skyler we're going to see for the rest of the season, or do you think he'll get more back into that scramble, improvise, like running, you know, red zone Skyler Thompson that we've seen?
4: I don't know. It's really hard to know um, without sitting in, you know, like in the room with the medical team and the medical staff. um, Very difficult to know 100% what what the deal is with that and if it is an injury that can – heal or if it's an injury that is going to require some surgery at some point and you just, it's a matter of like enduring it for the season. Um, I would think if they came so close to not playing him and they were really thinking about, Hey, there's a buy and could be some extra time here. And maybe we wait for that. Um, that does make me believe that it's an injury that, that could heal up and get better, um, throughout the rest of the year, potentially, but that's just total speculation. Definitely not a doctor. Um, so don't don't take that um, for gospel necessarily. But hey, I mean even if he even if he is gonna have to sit back in the pocket like that, I think we did see that th- that could be a different evolution of the offense and maybe a different evolution of him as a player, um, that, that could really still be beneficial and still be pretty effective. So um, not sure about that. I, I don't know that it would have been like a coach's edict, like, hey, don't run. I think it, it sounds like more, you know, Skyler just trying to learn and figure out how much he can trust Um, how much you can trust that knee himself personally right now
1: and then kind of the last personnel question I had for you was about Cooper Beebe right going up against Nick Benito a possible you know first second third round draft pick he pretty much shut him down he only had four tackles and and those those were his total tackles he only had two solo tackles I think one of them was from the opposite side right he came from the back side to make a tackle on the play and you know how were you impressed with Cooper Beebe, or do you think he's? Because in my opinion, looking at him, I see him as the best offensive lineman on the team right now.
3: I think
4: that's that's the general consensus, at least, especially in terms of like potential and what he's going to be by the time his career is done. I know they've been really happy with how Josh Reeves has played and Pro Football Focus, depending on how much stock you put into that. Um, they're they're pretty kind to Revis right now, so. Um, that that would be the other guy that's kind of like your 1A, 1B, right, um, would be Josh Revis and Cooper Beebe. But in terms of, like, who has the most potential, definitely I think it's him. And keep in mind, too, I mean, he's playing really out of position out of what his highest ceiling is at because he's better as an interior offensive lineman. He can definitely handle playing outside, too. Um, but uh, his, his highest ceiling is going to be on the interior of the line, kind of like Cody White here in that regard when he was here at K-State where – Obviously, his NFL future came inside, but he was forced to play outside just because he was so good. And K State needed to get better tackles um, when he was actually here at K State. So, definitely a really bright future for him. Um, Seeing a lot of very good things out of him, and that, that was a huge, huge pull uh, for Climate and Company to, to to land him.
1: And then the next thing I want to get into is you're kind of making strides in the uh, the YouTube community, right? You're getting a ton of views. You're making money there, right? I mean, how is it? To, uh, how's the YouTube journey right now, my friend? Yeah, it's been cool. It's been really cool to see. I mean,
4: it it just blew up almost overnight with conference realignment. Um, Just going back to the the first thing I posted when it was still basically a K-State channel that had the word conference realignment in the title, it was actually just a video about where K-State fits in conference realignment. I just noticed, like, hey, you know, this got about five times the views of what a typical video I posted would be. And so I just started following that trail. And eventually it's, it led me to this place. Um, So definitely appreciate all the support that I've gotten from everybody. Um, It's just clear that there was an appetite for somebody to give a big 12 perspective on what was going on because nationally, you just, you just don't really find that at all. Um, Everybody wanted to make jokes and memes about the big 12 there at first uh, when all this was originally happening. And um, a lot of people just trying to grave dance, a lot of people writing what I think were fairly unfair narratives, at, at least amplifying narratives uh, stronger than they had to be about what was going on with the league and the teams that were left. So it just seemed like there was a place for, for somebody to step in and, and say, like, hey, man, it's it's not, it's not quite as doom and gloom as you make it out to be. And there are a lot of really endearing things about the schools that are left here, and this can still be a viable and competitive conference, at least with the ACC and the Pac-12. And I, that's something I really try to emphasize. I mean, we're headed down a road clearly where – it's going to be the SEC and the Big Ten far out in front of everybody else. And you can even see that by the way the playoff picture is really shaping up this year. I mean, I'm certainly very hopeful and optimistic that Cincinnati gets in. But beyond that, I mean, we're talking about four or five potential suitors in the Big Ten, and we're talking about, well, two basically in the SEC uh, that are head and shoulders above everybody else in Bama and Georgia. and That's just indicative of the, the landscape of college football right now, particularly the finances where the SEC and the Big Ten are going to be so far out in front of everybody. Um, well they already are right now and will continue to be that gap is going to grow wider and wider Um, so yeah it was just it was a lot of frustration for me at how the Big 12 was being treated and how the Pac-12 in particular was being held up as an entity that was significantly better than the Big 12 and I just don't see it that way now that the Big 12 has has found the four schools to really fortify itself and move forward so just trying to do whatever I can to uh to help out the cause there and just kind of give some voice to everybody who was left back here and fly over country squirming and wondering what was going to happen to the, the future of their football programs.
1: John Kurtz talking with me here, and that's and you put up a, this is kind of my next question. You put up a video, I think it was either today or yesterday, talking about what some people might be calling the new Big 12, you know, whatever, with the new teams coming in, right, talking about the playoff. Um, you know, the bid, the new Big 12, whatever you want to call it, have the number 5, the number 10, and the number 12 teams – in the nation right now in the latest AP poll, you know, do you think, and this kind of, you know, builds off of what you were just talking about, you know, just talking how much credibility does having these teams come into the Big 12, how much credibility does that give the conference? Well, right now
4: it's looking great um, with the way that Cincinnati and BYU are playing, and um, I still think that long-term UCF has the biggest ceiling out of all of them just because they're such a young program and they're in such a talent-rich place. Uh, and they are so committed to dumping as, pumping as many resources into it as they can, um, and they're, I mean, they're having a tough year, obviously lost their quarterback, they kind of blew a game to Navy on Saturday, but um, Cincinnati has a huge opportunity, BYU has a huge opportunity, you know, if you wind up at the end of the year with Cincinnati in the playoff, BYU in the New Year Six, um, maybe Oklahoma State still sniffing around the New Year Six uh, kind of area as well, that's going to be a tough, narrative to deny there for a little while or at least it'll be much more difficult to continue in the short term with these narratives about what the new big 12 is going to be and how far behind they're going to be et cetera et cetera if if that's what you're if that's what you're winding up with now you know whether or not that happens is a is a completely different thing but as long as Cincinnati if Cincinnati can win out and at least put themselves in position to where it would be a royal screw job for them not to get in the playoff, and that will dominate a lot of the conversation. That's going to help uh, because you look at it's back-to-back years. They would be going through unbeaten regular seasons. Everybody already thought they got a pretty raw deal last year. Um, Not necessarily that they didn't make the playoff, but just how they didn't even get any kind of remote consideration for it based on where the committee actually ranked them. So if you're talking about them going on back-to-back years like that, BYU – which it would also be back-to-back years like that for BYU right they went 11-1 and last year with Zach Wilson um if they keep winning games and have another 11-1 and type season here that's back-to-back great years for BYU too so yeah I think the credibility is building even Houston has started to piece together their season um after a pretty rocky start here lately we'll see how that holds up so I'm definitely optimistic about it and I think uh I think hopefully Cincinnati can really help drive a lot of that conversation in the short term to uh, bridge that gap until 2023 when they get in the league, and, and you hope that everybody takes off even more then.
1: John, I know you're a busy guy. I only have a few more questions for you. I uh, I jumped the gun a little bit. I want to take it back to last weekend real quick, if we can. You got to talk with a few pretty cool people, including Darren Sproles, Jordy Nelson, David Allen. I mean, what was it like getting to – sit in the same room and get to talk with some of these legends here from K-State.
4: Yeah, it was very cool. I, I've been fortunate enough to talk to two of the three before. Jordy is kind enough to, to come on a radio show, radio show basically once a year um, to promote his uh, celebrity event with Nelson's Landing. I guess um, Nelson's Landing doesn't exist in its, in its full form anymore, but still the, the Nelson's Benefit that they have out there. So been fortunate enough to get to know Jordy a little bit uh, over the years, which has been awesome. And I, I think it's cool. You know, I mean, the last couple of years, he's really been just a, an average guy around the community um, <laughs> for a lot of people to get a chance to get to know. And, and David Allen, I've interviewed once before. Um, first time I had met him in person and actually sat down with him in person, which was very cool. Uh, just a guy that I think it's easy to, uh, for him to get overshadowed just based on how good the teams were that he was playing on, but just a phenomenal talent. And uh, a guy that was, you know, one point in time had tied for the NCAA record and punt return touchdowns, broke it for a fleeting moment in 2000 in um, the Iowa game at Arrowhead stadium. It got called back uh, for a BS holding penalty. And then he got hurt and <laughs> never really had a chance to, to get that record at that point in time, which is very disappointing. But, you know, when you talk about special teams, you and, the great lineage of returners K-State had. I mean, you're really talking about David Allen kicking that thing off and launching it. Um, and then Darren Sproles, first time I had had a chance, I believe to, I think the second time, I think he had been back once before. I take it back three or four years ago. Um, and had talked to him briefly, but that was the most in depth. I've had a chance to talk with him and man, just what a, what a cool guy he was and the experience for him this weekend, just hanging out. I mean, he went and hung out at a at North um, for their rivalry game on Friday, talked to their team in practice just very accessible for everybody. Same deal in Manhattan. I mean, there's a video of him out in the parking lot racing a kid in the parking lot. I mean, just hanging out and being an average guy um, really really seemed like it was cool for him to kind of soak everything up and just be a fan um, and enjoy that, enjoy some of the, the fruits of his labor throughout his career and just the adulation that he has here in Manhattan. So very cool. It was awesome to, to get all those guys back. I think K-State did a really good job with all of that. Um, and obviously syncing it up with a weekend where the bill was rocking and a lot of people were back in town for the Oklahoma game. So uh, very cool ambiance, very cool ambiance with all that going on.
1: I got to to talk with David Allen when he was at Jordy's uh, softball event here a few weeks ago. David Allen made the comment, and he said the same thing to you when you were talking to him. You put the video on Twitter that he thinks the, uh, the 98 team is the best to ever do it. Do you agree with him?
4: I definitely think that they are uh, in the conversation for best college football teams <laughs> that never won a national championship. And I definitely think that they were the best team in college football in 1998. And they, I mean, man, I it, look, if we, if we're talking, if we're talking about me putting on kind of my fan hat and, and throwing a little bit of stick with it. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're the best team that's ever lived. But if, if we're talking about taking a step <laughs> back in and, and reality, um, they were, certainly deserving of being a national champion again i do think they would belong in the conversation of best teams that didn't win a national championship you won't ever see that nationally because it's it's k-state and there weren't you know there's just not a big enough brand attached to it for people to really remember enough to get that conversation going but you know you talk about a team that came i mean it's just the most heartbreaking story you could ever possibly concoct you know for a sports fan 10 years after bill snyder takes over less than 10 years after Bill Snyder takes over the pro the worst program in college football history he has them to within three points a double overtime loss of getting to the national championship game and the story of how it all played out where they're they're number three in the BCS going into the game the thought then was like well K-State's going to beat A&M and then be left out because uh, UCLA is in front of them UCLA gets upset by Miami who was not having a good year at the time that was a major upset Happens during the game while well, K-State's up by double figures. They find out the score gets announced in St. Louis. So all K-State has to do is you know, hold off a double-digit lead and win the game. And then at the end, Michael Bishop can just run out the clock. He's already got the first down, but fumbles as he's going down. He has a scar uh, still on his arm from that hit that'll be with him for the rest of his life. I mean, you just <laughs> you can't concoct a more uh, heartbreaking story than what happened there. I mean you can throw in case they completed the Hail Mary at the end of regulation. It was completed to Ever Burnett, but he fell down at the two yard line. Bishop was going in for a touchdown in one of the overtimes and stepped on Eric Hickson's foot, who was kind of lead blocking for him in front of it. I mean, there's just a million things uh with that game and that team. It's it's a shame. It'll always be a shame. I think it's probably the closest case they will ever get to a national championship and but that's sports, man. I mean that's sports. It that that's why we love it and that's why we hate it, because it can do things like that too. Yeah.
1: Last question, John, before I let you go. This is uh, – I think I saw it today. I saw it on Twitter today. I don't know if it broke today or yesterday. Uh, and this is going to be a good segue for us, Nate, to go into our next topic. Josh Gordon got called up to the 53-man roster for the Chiefs, and they're saying he might play on Sunday against the Bills. Do you think uh, Josh Gordon's going to be that dude in Kansas City? I would – caution
4: against setting the expectation level too high for him, but certainly everything since he signed has been as encouraging as possible. Hearing that Andy Reid thought he was in great shape, that they even toyed with the idea of potentially making him active last week. The fact that they're going to have him active this week. I mean, those are all strongly encouraging signs, and Andy Reid obviously has a history of working with guys that have had some troubles and issues in the past and and turning that into, uh, into something really positive. So um, I think there's reason to have hope. I certainly think there's reason for optimism. Um, Kansas City definitely needs him. And honestly, if you think about what the number two receiver role has been like over the last few years. Sammy Watkins was great when he was out there, um, but he was just so sporadic with his health that, I mean, even if Josh Gordon isn't quite what Sammy Watkins was at full bore 100%, but he can be out there more consistently, um, you could argue that that could actually be better over the long haul for the Chiefs offense. So I think I think it's clear that they definitely need – a guy who has a higher ceiling for a number two receiver. I mean, I love Byron Pringle to death. I think he is a very good number three, number four option that also helps the team in a ton of ways with special teams, et cetera. But, you know, when it came time to make two really clutch catches against the Chargers that are not easy catches to make, but like catches that a number two Josh Gordon type of receiver in the NFL should make, he, he wasn't able to do it, and I think that's just kind of a limitation on his ceiling, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And McCole Hartman, it's kind of the same way. You know, I mean, he's a gadget player. Um, I don't think he's more than that at this point in his career, and he's been in the NFL for, what, three, four years now at this point. So they need him. They need him, and I, I love the, the fact that they took a chance. Um, I'm just in kind of cautious optimism mode, I think, as, as far as Josh Gordon goes.
1: John, I appreciate you coming on the show. I, I realized I kept you a little longer than uh, than I thought I was going to. I apologize about that. You you took the time to come on my show. Is there anything, you know, Twitter, YouTube, any other plugs, any other shout-outs that you want to give before I let you go?
4: Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's all on me, man. I, I get a little wordy uh, here sometimes with these. <laughs> no, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, at JL Kurtz. You can follow the YouTube channel. Just search John Kurtz on, on YouTube and find me there. Um, those are definitely the two easiest ways to find me. You can listen to the podcast of my daily radio show. Search The Game KMAN on uh, Apple and Google Podcasts. You can find it that way, too. Uh, so lots of ways to uh, to get in touch and find my content these days.
1: John Kurtz, ladies and gentlemen. And once again, John, I appreciate you. Thank you. They, really, thank you for coming on the show. It's great insight every time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me.
3: Just because Tanner's Bar & Grill has been around since the 80s doesn't mean their menu is outdated. They are serving up new weekday food and drink specials with dishes like buffalo mac and cheese, steak tips, boogas, and chicken sandwiches. Don't have time to stop by their location at 1200 Morrow in Aggieville? Tanner's now offers takeout through their website, tannersbarandgrill.com, and delivery through DoorDash.
2: What do you seem to understand? I'm not locked in here with you.
0: <laughs> you're locked in here with me. Hey, Brick Show, you're going nowhere.
2: All right, well, last week we had Syracuse plus three and a half, I believe. It was either plus three and a half or plus four and a half on uh, Florida State. I thought they were going to win the game. They actually lost, but on a field goal. So... I can't remember if I took three and a half or four and a half, but either way, it covered. So we moved to four and two on the year. And this year, uh, man, there's a pick this weekend that just really kind of, kind it's of rubbing either wrong way. It's just kind of insulting. <laughs> it's a little insulting, and that's the Michigan and Nebraska line. Nebraska, unranked at a three and three. Coming off a shellacking, a barbaric beatdown yeah, yeah. of Northwestern, but it's Northwestern.
1: It's Northwestern.
2: Um, the reigning Big Ten West champions, <laughs> yeah. man. I, may I say, um, they're Northwestern, gonna, they're,
1: Northwestern has the uh, that big jacked the Schmidian like, shirt. Guy, yeah, yeah. The, the big like yeah. trainer guy. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> Anyways, Nebraska is hosting the Michigan Wolverines now. Michigan, in the past, I've been a big hater. Of the Harbaugh Wolverines in the past, saying that they're frauds. Yeah, they're not a, they're not playing. They haven't played to the blue blood potential they have for years. But, man, this year I, I I could be wrong. Ohio State's weak. Penn State's their biggest competition in the East. Um, I could be wrong. So, Michigan is playing in Nebraska, and they are only three and a half point favorites. I think Michigan's going to smack Nebraska around a little bit. I think they're going to remind them why they should still be in the Big 12. So, <laughs> I'm taking Michigan minus three and a half.
1: I'll respect it. I'll respect it because it's at... Uh, it's in Nebraska. It's in, I was going to say, if it were at the Big House, like there's no way Nebraska's walking into the Big House and and beating Michigan, in my mind. There's no way. But, yeah, I mean... You look at what happened to Nebraska against Oklahoma a few weeks ago, and like they played well, but it seems like everyone is playing well against Oklahoma yeah. right now, right? Except for Tulane, right? Was it Tulane? They got blown out by like, no Tulane
2: only won by who?
1: who Tulane? Did they, who do they blow out by like seventy points?
2: Uh, it's probably some like it's probably Oklahoma Panhandle State yeah, University on, or something like up.
1: that. Um, uh, as I'm trying to find the schedule, who did they blow out? It was WCU. I don't even know that. Western Carolina blown out 76 to nothing. But, like, other than that, you look at Oklahoma's schedule, and it's like you only beat Tulane by five. Then you go and blow out some Western whatever Carolina team. Then you go up against Nebraska, where, honestly, Nebraska played pretty well in that game. Uh, Oklahoma. That was the game where that where the defender had that like super awesome like one handed mm-hmm. pick, right? And then you only beat West Virginia by three, and then you only beat K State by six. So honestly, I don't think Oklahoma looks that impressive this season. Like obviously they're going to be good, and they're going to you know find ways to score, and they're going to find the. They're end zone winning and... off
2: the talent they have. Though. Exactly. They're just not playing well, but exactly. they're winning because they're more talented than everyone else. I would
1: agree. I would agree with that. Yeah, that, that was a great way of getting to my very convoluted point. Thank you for that, Nate. But uh, you're taking Michigan, was it minus three? Minus three and a half. Minus three and a half. And honestly, it's what, three, three and a half for home field advantage? Yeah. So it's like, whatever. It's whatever yeah. at this point. Yeah, I think. I just I, think where's that's Michigan a little too standing close. right now? Nine. I haven't looked at their schedule a ton. Uh... As I pull it up, they got the a app
2: tough app. next few games. They got Penn yeah. State coming up, and then um, or the back half, their schedule is a lot harder in the front half.
1: So you have Western Michigan, you blow them out. You have Washington, you blow out Washington. You blow out Northern Illinois. You only beat Rutgers by seven. Rutgers
2: might not be the worst. And that's what
1: I'm thinking too. Is Rutgers might not be the worst team in the world either. And then same with Wisconsin as well, where
2: but they beat Wisconsin pretty handily, thirty-eight
1: to seventeen. But who did uh, Wisconsin had a good game a few weeks ago, right? Um, the Notre Dame game. Oh no, it no they was got co- no, no. It was it was close for a while. And then whoever the Wisconsin quarterback – because I watched that game, he threw, like, three picks. Graham Mertz, Overland Park, Kansas product. Literally threw, like, three picks in the last four minutes of the game, and the game just blew wide open. Yeah. Like, you can say what you – it finished being 41-13, to but I only think it was a 10-point game with, like, five minutes left to play in the fourth quarter. And then – here, let me just look it up. Um. Yeah, yeah. It was going into the fourth quarter, it was 10-10. to 10. And then Notre Dame scored 31 points in the fourth quarter because they threw three interceptions, two of which were pick sixes. So say what you will about Wisconsin being 1-2, and two, but... Notre Dame also isn't that great either. No, but who knows. It's college football. Anything can happen. Yeah. I think that's a given at this point. And then... Before we, before we move on with anything else, before we wrap up the show here, I did want to highlight the women's soccer team who did win against KU. It was insane. Insane. They had, like, an hour and a half rain delay to start the game, and then, like, towards the end of the first half or, like, towards the end of the second half, just the power went out at the stadium and it's like ESPN plus went down. All of the lights went out. It was raining and like everything just got shut down and the game, a soccer game, which was supposed to last 90 minutes probably lasted closer to like three and a half hours at that point because mm. they went to overtime. They ended up winning and it was, it was really cool to see a team that went Oh, and two to start the big 12 come in. Now you had Elena Wurmeyer Ten saves, the highest in her career. You had Kaylee Thornhill score the winning goal. You know, here I'll just play the uh, the clip of the winning goal here. Um, I've said this. That was not the winning goal. That was her talking about the winning goal. This is the winning goal. Trying to go one on one. Cuts it back. Defended well by Smith. The shot is in. On the
4: follow up, Kaylee Thornhill delivers the game winner for
1: K-State in overtime. Second chance opportunity. It was a great goal. It was a pass from Brooklyn Entz that came into kind of around the 18 yard box, and then she put it in with the left foot. And this is this now is her talking about scoring the goal. Um, I've said this a couple times. I really don't remember, but I'm trying to because I'm just kind of like, it was so much adrenaline going on. But yeah, I think it was kind of just like. We were already delayed so long, and then we had a power outage, and then it's like overtime. It was just we are not going home with a loss now. We're soaking wet. We have so much adrenaline. We're just we're finishing this game. However, messy the goal is, the ball is going in the back of the net somehow. (laughs) Two to one. It was a great finish, and then K State women's soccer comes home. They'll play West Virginia. Uh, as I'm looking at the wrong schedules, I'm trying to pull it up here to talk about it. They will take on West Virginia on Thursday. That'll be a good game because West Virginia, I believe, is 8 2 and 1 on the season right now. So come out, support the Cats. I think it'll be a good game. I'm really excited. I think uh, now that Elena Wermeyer is starting to have some success in goals, she's getting some more confidence. I talked to her about that today at their at their media day and she's starting to get more confidence the defense has more confidence this whole team is just super confident and they're all buying into the belief which is I think the most important thing when it comes to playing as a team and making sure you have that camaraderie is just buying into the program Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and I think um kind of like we talked about earlier there's just a lot of a lot of energy around the program right now I think that's hopefully going to uh, carry into the, the rest of the season. I think uh, beating KU is obviously really big. I think in any college sport, um, beating your rival is how you just continue to establish a program. So,
1: And then I I did forget, I did want to mention Elena Wurmeyer was named the Big 12 Goalkeeper of the Week for her performance, and then Kaylee Thornhill was named uh, the Big 12 Player of the Week uh, for her performance in the game as well. So as I pull up a schedule here k-state sitting at six and six one and two in conference they'll take on west virginia this thursday back home and then they'll play baylor on thursday at home as well go out support the cats support the girls they're working hard they're playing hard they just went to freaking war last thursday in Lawrence with everything they had to put up with. So the least you can do is go out this Thursday and this Sunday and go watch some women's soccer. They're doing great things. They said it last week when I talked to them. They feed off the energy, man. And that's the biggest thing is if you're loud and you're in, and you're in the crowd, it goes for any sport, I think, in general. If if you're loud and you're supporting the team, I think the team's going to play better in my mind. So go out, support everybody, support the teams, stay after halftime. Oop, I didn't say that about football, so... <laughs> In here for me, but uh, Nate, any closing remarks here before we before we take off?
2: Not really. We're MLB playoffs starts tonight.
1: MLB playoffs do start tonight. Who do you have winning at all?
2: I have the Rays, Tampa Bay Rays.
1: Interesting. I don't know really anything about baseball, but that's something that we can get into more next week. Teaser next week. Tuesday, 6-7, we'll talk about MLB playoffs. I had John on for a little bit longer than, uh, than I wanted. Yeah, special thanks to, to John Kurtz for coming on the show. Uh, another special thanks, Nick Great guy. First big boy of the week to ever come on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in here on Wildcat 91.9. I'm Colin Settle, joined by Nate Gray. I don't think I said that at the beginning. I'm Colin Settle and Nate Gray. This is Settling the Score here on Wildcat 91.9. MLB playoffs coming up next week.